it's interesting. Uh, as I was listening to the installation stuff, has anyone ever gone, wow, it's a lot of stuff I got to do, or it's a lot of responsibilities that are in front of me now, right? Like, see, the only one laughing is Patrick. He understands, right? Because I know when I was being installed or being ordained, I was like, I got to do all that? Like, holy cow. You know, so I was, you know, everyone, anyone ever went like, no, I'm good. I'll pass. Uh, it's a lot. But, you know, I'm sure they pray about that prior to putting their name in the hat. And so, uh, but I was, it was just a thought I was having as I was listening to it, like the gravity and the seriousness of the responsibilities that each and every single one of our tasked with. You know what I mean? And, um, how well we fully understand the importance of some of those things, right? Uh, I was sharing with my friend out front, and I'll, I'll get to the sermon in a second, like, sometimes when those are misconstrued, there's serious traumas and pains that happen to some of us as congregants and members of the church. And I was sharing with him a story that I had experienced at a, with a fellow sister uh, the RCA, um, a trauma I had experienced that this text kind of deals with a little bit. And so I pray that each and every single one of you gentlemen who are just installed understand the gravity of what you have been tasked with in front of you. And I pray God's grace upon you that you fulfill it as he has called you to. So let's pray. Father, we come and we thank you for who and what you are, the things that you do and the ways that you work. And Lord, we surrender to you, and I pray that your words are glorified here in this moment, and I pray that you are honored as you deserve to be and lifted to the highest point, because you are so good to us. Father, I pray it's your words and not mine that are spoken to your children today. I pray that you remove all distractions, internal and external, from us. I pray that you allow us to hear what you were truly trying to say to us today. And that we may be able to live into it through Christ in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to go to Ezekiel 22, starting at verse 30, or sorry, And the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, say to her, you are a land that is not cleansed or rained upon in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured human lives. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in their midst. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common, neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have disregarded my Sabbaths, so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey, shedding blood, destroying lives to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies. For for them saying, this 
Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken, the people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy and have extorted from the sojourner without justice. And I sought for a man among them who should build up a wall and stand in the breach before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord God. I apologize for not knowing which way to turn my page. I've been reading in my Hebrew Bible a little bit, and you go the other way. So uh, I apologize for that one right there. Thank God for grace. Thank God for grace. Thank God for mercy. Thank God for compassion. Thank God for understanding. Thank God for forgiveness. Thank God for peace. Thank God for people of faith. Thank God for love. I was saying thank God for all these things, right? I don't know about you, but these are sometimes things that I need to be reminded of when it comes to God. Right? These are things that I need, we need in order to continue in this. I want to read to you uh, right before where I started reading in the first couple of verses of this text, right? And understand why God is on the verge of destroying the land that he has. It says, see how each of the princes of Israel who are in you uses his power to shed blood. In you they have treated father and mother with contempt. In you they have oppressed the foreigner and mistreated the fatherless and the widow. You have despised my holy things and desecrated my Sabbaths. In you are slanderers who are bent on shedding blood. In you are those who eat at the mountain shrines and committed lewd acts. In you are those who dishonor their father's bed. In you are those who violate women during their period when they are ceremonially unclean. In you, man commits detestable offense with his neighbor's wife. Another shamefully defiles his daughter-in-law. And another violates his sister, his own father's daughter. In you are people who accept brides to shed blood. You take interest and make profit from, their, from the poor. You extort the unjust from your neighbor's. And you have forgotten me, declares the sovereign Lord. And I was reading that, and and part of it for me, like, I don't know how you work with scripture, right? And a lot of times what I always try to challenge the church is to find yourself in the story. Where are you in this text? And I know that with it talking about priests and prophets and and princes, that there's an easy way for us to negate that we fit, that we belong in here, that we participate in some of the things that it's talking about, because I'll justify and say, well, that's not me, so that's not, that doesn't count. And so I wanted to read that first part, because I think that as quiet as it's kept, there are some of us that are participating or have participated in some of those sins. 
that we have allowed ourselves to fall victim to them. And it says, you have forgotten the Lord. And when I was reading, I, it was the first thing I highlighted is you have forgotten the Lord. And I start thinking about how often is it that in my own life and the way that I live that I forget about who gives me everything that I have, right? So the other day I had a guy come to my home or he's been in my home for a little while and he went and got drunk. And so we had to like, those are grounds for termination in, in, my, in one of my homes. And, and uh, he calls me and he's in a really bad part of town. And he's like, I want to kill myself. I'm going to go and upset the gang members over here. And I'm going to try and get one of them to shoot me. Or at least beat me up really bad. Because I don't want to be here anymore. And I'm like, don't do that. I'm going to come get you. Where are you? Tell me where you're at right now. And he's like, I don't want you to come get me. So then a few minutes goes by. He's like, okay, come get me. He's like, you know what, I have another friend who works with me. He'll come get me, right? And so he ends up getting picked up. He gets brought home. And it's crazy. The guy gets him. He's in a wheelchair. Um, he's driving. He has a wheelchair, so he has some devices that allow him to be able to drive. And he gets out of the car, and the guy goes, how do you stay sober? And the guy goes, I remember what Jesus did on the cross for me. And the guy goes, huh? He goes, I remember what Jesus did on the cross for me every time I grabbed that bottle. And I was like, wow. For a minute, it seemed like it sunk in. Then it was fleeting again because then he tried to kill himself at my home later on that evening. And so, but... Um, it was powerful to hear this gentleman tell him that, right? Because maybe it wasn't necessarily for him, but it was for me to remind myself of the things that I may be neglecting too, right? And this isn't about me, but I'm, I'm, I'm just identifying for, for the sake of this text that, that for me, there's some things that need to be readjusted and recalibrated because of the way that I'm living. There's some things that aren't necessarily right, and I'm hoping that for some of us that we can do that same thing, that we recalibrate ourselves when we look at the text and realize there's some things that are off about what we're doing and, and the decisions that we're making and the places that we go and the things that we see and the, and the ways we treat people, right? Because Jesus gave us all. And so this text, where we started at, it says that you will not be cleansed. You are a land that will not be cleansed. You are a land that will not be cleansed or rained on in the day of wrath. And so, like, there's this idea of forgiveness, of restating, right? The cleansing is a restating back to a previous condition, right? And so, and God is letting them know, look, check it out, it's coming. You're not going to be cleansed. The rain is not going to fall upon you. You're not going to get washed. You're not going to get blessed. The, the, the pain is coming on the day of wrath. It's coming for you. And he starts to tell them why, right? And I'm like, wow. Thank God for grace. When the day comes that we are not going to be cleansed, thank God for grace. And he says, there is a conspiracy. In the ESV, it says prophets, but in every other translation, it says princes here. 
And when you get into the commentaries, even they say, well, it says prophets, but it really should mean princes. And what it, it says, within her, you're like a roaring lion tearing its prey, devouring people, taking treasures and precious things, and making many widows within her. And so these kings, these princes, and, and, it, and using the language of prince here is even derogatory towards the kings because they want to be kings, right? There's this idea that I should be acknowledged for who I am and what I am. But Ezekiel says princes here, right? And, and they're like these tearing lines going through people's lives, just ripping them to shred, not caring about who they are, what they are, not caring about what they're experiencing, and even bringing death upon them. It says that they devoured people. They ripped them to shreds. They took their treasures, right? And they took precious things, like things, things didn't matter in the sense of the value that they held for people or even in their faith. Things didn't matter. The king's greed was getting the best of him, and he says, I'm taking that too. And I'm taking that, and I'm taking that, and I'm taking that, and I'm taking that. Oh, that was your, mo- your dead mom? Sorry, it's mine now too. I don't care. Give me it. And the deaths started coming when they started overtaxing people and, and then throwing people into jail because they couldn't pay the taxes. I was like, man, no matter what side of the line you're on, like, the, right, in, a political, in our political climate today, like, you can see no matter how you feel about who our president is at the time, whether it be this one or the last one, there's a thought that you have about what our presidents are doing to our country and, it, and, and to the place that it brings us, even when it brings destruction upon families and cities. I had friends who wanted to not be my friend anymore because of where I stood. And where I stand right now doesn't even matter, but they were not willing to be my friend anymore. Because of the devouring of it, right? The, 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 the tension that was being created was greater than the love for one another. And how many of us were willing to let relationships go because of a stance? Then it says, her priests do violence. I put pastors on top of it. Her pastors do violence. They're not teaching the law. They're profaning my holy things, and they do not distinguish between the holy and the common. They teach that there is no difference between the unclean and the clean, and they shut their eyes to keeping my Sabbath so that I am profaned among you. They are disregarding God's teachings. Everything that we just read in the law, they didn't teach. They didn't talk about They didn't share with people. They didn't say this is the way we're supposed to be living. We just read about adultery and keeping the temple or the body pure and and, and, and stuff like that. And it's like, and they didn't, that was not important to them to show that, to tell that. The kings were living rampant and doing all kinds of evil and insanity, and the priests wanted to be good with them, and so they allowed them to do it, and rather than bringing correction. You guys are lucky to have Pastor Patrick, man. He gets up here and he teaches the truth of God for you guys. Every Sunday. Every Sunday. I get encouraged listening to him and I get intimidated coming up here to come behind him because he does such a great job. And this isn't about him either, but this is just to say that Patrick has a love for you in such a way that he teaches you the truth. 
of God. He does. And these pastors, these priests weren't doing it. We would think that the priests would do the right thing, right? Like, and I don't know if you guys think like I think, but I know when I listen to the parable of the Good Samaritan and the priest gets ready to walk by the man on the other side, I'm like, oh yeah, the priest will do the right thing. He's a priest, he has to. Or the Levite, he'll do the right thing. He has to. He's a man of God. And he let him down. And these priests here are not teaching what is holy, the difference between holiness and uncommon. The difference between what is right and what is wrong. For what, fear of being canceled? I thought about that too when I was listening to uh, Patrick read the the liter- or the the installation, and it was like support your pastor. And I was like, whoa, that's a good one there. Like, I think sometimes we we miss that point. What does it look like to support and walk with our pastors? But what does it look like to teach what is right and what is wrong? Not by the, what I think or my perception of something, but what the scriptures say. How does it look to treat something that God has made holy and not treat it as common use? What does it look like to hold up the things that God has asked us to hold up and not just let it fall down? These are the things that the priests were tasked to do and they weren't doing it. They weren't paying attention on the Sabbaths. They were closing their eyes, letting people do whatever they want. And this is her officials within her, like wolves tearing the prey. They shed blood and kill people to make unjust gains. The city officials here, They're abusing the people they're called to serve. They're mistreating them. They're treating them unfairly. They shed their blood. They kill people just to keep their pockets lined. How many of us mistreat and abuse people? to keep moving in the direction, the upward direction that we think we're going or to sustain something that we think we have to keep. Rather than allowing it to fall away, if that's what it's supposed to do, some of us will go to some extremes and cause serious damage to people to keep it. And these city officials are doing the same thing. All right? They're called to serve the city, and sometimes they vote not to benefit the city, but to benefit themselves. That's why you hear a lot about the way the politicians that we elect voted in some of the votes, right? This is that same thing here. They voted a particular way not to serve the people they're called to serve, but to serve the, the grouping that gave them the most money to get their vote. In our community, we deal with a lot with that, especially in Western Ranch. 
businesses aren't allowed to come into the area that I live in because there's what's called a big box ban and Foo for Less is the biggest store there and they don't allow stores over a hundred thousand square feet and so what they've done is they've created a pocket where they purchase by all the city councilmen to vote to keep the big box ban in existence so no other business can come because they corner the market that way and they have the ability to create a food desert with it so the only place we can shop is food for less and they can charge us what they want like this is what it looks like Gas there is 10 cents more than anywhere else in town, but sometimes you don't have the luxury to drive 10 more miles to get gas, so you have to pay gas there. Meat is $2 more a pound. Vegetables are on the verge of rot, and you have to buy them because it's the only place you can go. And this is what it looks like when officials make unjust gains and are willing to sacrifice the people that they're supposed to be serving. And then it says, the prophets, they whitewashed these deeds for them by false visions and lying divinations. These prophets, they were called false in the book of Ezekiel back in chapter 13, right? None of them wanted to do the right thing. None of them wanted to talk about what God was really saying to them. None of them even were hearing from God what it says that they were teaching from their own minds and their own spirits and their own thought process. And they would come to the kings and give the king a good word. The Lord has said to me for you today. And The Lord never said it. The Lord never said it. But yet they were believing and telling the kings, here's what's happening. Here's what the Lord has said. And then when... in chapter 13, what, what Ezekiel writes about is that you, you didn't even go up and stand up in the breach, right? You didn't fix the breach. You didn't even raise people up to do it. What you did is you whitewashed. And what it is is whitewashing is this, the, the wall has breaks in it, right? And what they're supposed to do is put mortar onto the rocks and the bricks that they're putting into the places that are broken. And what the, the priests or the, the prophets would do is they would stick this white gunk on top of it to cover it up. Kind of like Bondo. Right, they'd stick Bondo on it to fix it. Rather than actually fix the part, they were sticking Bondo on it saying, it's fixed, it's good, we're ready, it's strong again. And what would happen is when the storms and everything would come, the walls would just fall over. There was nothing, no substance behind the things that were happening. And so when the people were wondering why God was not with them and he was coming against them, and they're like, but prophet, this is what you told us, it was a lie. It was a lie. So often in some of these other major prophet books, we see like the prophets like, hey, turn or it's going to get bad. Turn or it's going to get bad. And these prophets weren't doing that. They weren't correcting the behavior of the people that they were prophesying to. They, they weren't. They were allowing them to do whatever they wanted. They want to be on the good side. The side of popularity. Because a lot of prophets endured a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. You're not supposed to be well liked as a prophet. You're supposed to get treated bad. You're telling people the truth. And I tell people, man, the greatest way that you can love someone is to tell them the truth, even at the extent of our relationship. I love you so much, I'm willing to tell you the truth, even if it means we're not friends anymore. 
because it's better to let you go and tell you what you need to hear rather than continue lying to you and allowing you to kill yourself over and over. It says the people of the land, they practice extortion, commit robbery, they oppress the poor and the needy and mistreat the foreigner, denying them justice. This is us. How are we treating people? How are we treating the foreigner? How are we treating the poor and the needy? Who are we denying justice? It's a hard pill to swallow. How have some of us been treated? How have us, some of us been denied justice? Like these are things, right? Hurt people hurt people. A lot of times it's I do what I've been taught. What I've been shown by others, that's what I do to the other people around me. The people that I believe that I'm more powerful than, right? It's a power thing, right? I want to show the foreigner that he doesn't belong, that he's not on my level, so I'm going to let him know something. Because when I deal with people who I believe that are higher than me, right? Not to say that they are, but when I believe that they are, I don't talk to them the same way. I treat them differently. So God says, I looked for someone among you who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found none. I found none. God is looking through the entire land. And there's no one who can stand in the gap before him so that he doesn't have to destroy the land, right? So what does that look like? Okay, so... Um, with the golden calf, when Moses was up on the, on the mountaintop with God, right in the Ten Commandments, God told Moses, you might want to go check on your people because they're, they're losing their minds down there. All right? He goes, matter of fact, I'm going to destroy them. And Moses immediately jumps into prayer like, no, God, wait, wait, wait. He starts praying for him, starts interceding for the people, right? He starts to talk to God about uh, his, his covenant that he made with them, right? He wants, to, he wants to get God to honor it, the covenant that was made. And so Moses begins to pray for them, right? In, in, in um, uh, Psalms 106, it talks about, had Moses not done this, God would have destroyed the people. So Moses begins to intercede, right? So he stands in the gap before, before, before God with the people behind him. And this, and this is what was crazy to me, because I don't know about you, but every time I've heard this text or thought about it, I always imagine there being like a real wall, right? And God being back here, yes, I, I, I visualize this way, right? God being back here and the prophet or whoever standing in the gap, standing in the gap facing whoever is coming. God behind them. 
Not that, right, this is what it meant. In my mind, I'm standing in the gap praying for somebody that may come to know who God is or come to be saved or whatever that looks like, whatever I'm praying in the gap for. And God is back there. And what I understood today is, no, he's turned around, right? There isn't necessarily some wall, but the guy's like, hey, God, I'm right here. Hey, like, whoa, right? They're back here. The, 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 the bad, the trouble, the sinners are back here. And, and he's standing in front of God like this. Look, right here, right here. I don't know if you guys have ever been in a situation with like an attacker and he has a, a, a victim in his mind of who he wants to go to and you as the parent or the loved one or whoever it is that they call upon to come stand in the middle. Your job is to stand in the middle between the attacker and the person he wants to attack. Hey, right here, right here. I'm standing in the camp. Why do I say that? Because Aaron did the same thing. Korah got a bunch of people together, right? This is in number 16. Get a bunch of people together and they want to attack Moses and Aaron. They say, we're tired of watch, watching you guys run everything and lead us. And, every, and they say, well, let's let God decide. And what ends up happening? God sends a plague on the people. And 3,000 people just start dropping. And Moses looks at Aaron and goes, hey, you're the priest, bro. Go get this, uh, the, I want to call it a center, but it's not, that's not the word. Whatever they put the, why am I not remembering the words? The incense in, the scepter, scepter. They go get the scepter and stand in between the people. And Aaron runs and gets the scepter and he comes and God's sending a plague and he's standing before waving it around and the people are behind him dying and Aaron's right. There's this idea of when we stand in the gap that we are willing to put our own lives on the line. Moses, when he's talking to God up on the mountain, he says, if you can't forgive them, then take me, please. I will take their place. And here we have God saying, I found none. And my first thought was, was there no one willing to put their own life on the line for the people? Ezekiel's sitting here watching this all, all this insanity go on, all this craziness. And he's like, hey, they're on their own. I'm going to tell them the truth. But look, I'm not willing to stand the gap for them. I don't know if that's what's happening. This is just a thought that I'm having. But there's no one else. And what that leads me to believe is this is bigger than just a bad action. This gap here has to do with the human condition of sin in our life. This has to do with the brokenness of humanity. And as I was driving here, I thought about this. And this is why I was like, thank God for grace, thank God for mercy, thank God for love. Because what happened is because God could find no one, God sent someone. He sent Jesus. God's like, look, check it out. I can't find nobody right now, so look, check it out. I'm going to send you somebody who can do this. Why? Because I'm a loving, caring, compassionate, merciful God who loves you dearly and I don't want to have to destroy you and so I'm going to find a way out for you right here 
And I'm going to send you somebody who can stand in between me and you so that destruction doesn't have to come. I'm going to send you somebody. Like, and, we, and that's why like, I read the part where it says, and they forgot about, and we forget about God, and like, what he has done. We forget, I forget about God with everything that he has given. Like the lives that we live, we don't deserve. By default, I heard the preacher say, by default, we are guaranteed hell. By default. To do nothing, that's our reward. But here, God sends us a solution to the problem that we can't fix. A price that we can't pay. A debt that is beyond us, beyond anyone. He sends his son, Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so I was thinking about this, what this gap might look like, right? And I was thinking about like these two mountains, right? I know I just told you this is standing in front of God thing, but, like, but then I thought about these two mountains, right? And the people are on one and God is on the other. And the people are trying to figure out how to get to God. And people maybe sign up, right? Moses and all these other guys sign up to like, hey, I can fill the gap. Let me get in the gap, right? Because and, 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 I had a guy one time tell me I could die on the cross for everybody. I'm like, seriously? He's like, I could have did it. It was my very first pastor when I professed ministry. I wasn't in the CRC. I was in another denomination. My very first pastor was like, I could have did it. And I'm like, I need to get out of this place. <laughs> the fact that you think you could have did it. You, bro, you live foul sometimes. But I think about the mountain ranges, right? And, the, and somebody trying to stick their arms on it and realizing the weight of the, of the world is too much to bear and arms give out. Or the fear that they're going to die. All these things that we experience that cause us to hold back when it comes to being in a relationship with Jesus and, and helping other people? Are we willing to really stand in the gap in, in, in front of people? There's a shooter. Are we willing to take the bullet for the person? Right? I've been told lots of times, we're, God has given us brains not to run towards the fire. And I say, no, God has given us the brain and the spirit to run to the fire. We're called to run to the fire, not away from it. Can we run to it, right? So all these people try and they can't do it because the human condition is just too much. And Jesus comes. And he puts his arms across and holds the weight of all of us. And this is the cross. Jesus went to the cross for us and died. Why? So that we can be in relationship with God. So that we can stand before him. So what does all this mean? 
means that we need to stand in the gap. When we take on Jesus, take on. When we receive the Lord, his spirit is dwelt amongst us, within us. And it gives us the ability to do things that we would never do ourselves. I don't know if you guys have ever done something like that. I don't know why I'm doing that. I don't know why we're here. But you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're doing the call God has given you. And each of us, this is not for special people, is it? Just for JP, Patrick, me, and, and the L. No, this is for all Christians, right? We are called to a ministry of reconciliation. We have the responsibility as believers and followers of Jesus by his grace to stand in the gap for other people. I have a praying grandma. When I tell my story about the horrors of addiction and the things that I had experienced prior to knowing Christ as my Lord and Savior, I tell people, I begin the story with, I had a praying grandma who prayed for my soul every day. Every day she would pray for me. She knew Jesus intimately and she had the spirit of him dwelling within her and she would pray for my soul. And here I am today because of her. She stood in the gap for me when I had no clue what to do. And when I came home finally, she said, baby, I've been praying for you. We have a responsibility to stand in the gap like Moses, like Aaron, like Hezekiah, I think it's Hezekiah. One of the kings stood in the gap for the people of Israel when his dad left him a really bad kingdom. And he, brought, he opened the temple gates and he brought the people back unto the Lord. Daniel, all these people stood in the gap. We have a responsibility to stand in the gap. And this is the way I thought about this text in the beginning. And, you know, and JP is such a great minister of the word at times, too, for me. And I only spoke to him one time, so when I say at times, right? And he said, by God's grace, we can. And by God's grace, we can stand in the gap no matter what. And right now, our world needs it. It needs it. Our country needs it. But we can't have it where God goes out and looks and says, I can find no one willing to stand in the gap. We need to be praying for our leaders. We need to be praying for each other. We need to be praying for our children. We need to be praying for the future children to be coming because what they're getting ready to walk into is gonna be insane. I, my great grandkids and my grandkids to come, I already get nervous for them thinking about where our world is today and what they may have to endure as a result of it. But I do know that none of it is more powerful than Jesus, none of it. The enemy can try, which he has, and he will not win. We already know how the story ends. Jesus wins. And I think sometimes we forget that, that Jesus wins. And we get caught up in our own fears and our own struggles and our own humanity and our own physicalness. When we should be beating the flesh, we get caught up in it. But we know how the story ends. If you don't, flip all the way to the back. It's a cheat sheet. Jesus wins. And the enemy loses. He does, I promise you. 
There's not an eraser that can erase the pages. We have a responsibility too for the life that we live, that we were not promised, that we were not granted, that were given or deserving of. There's nothing we can do that deserves the life that we live today. There's no good. We are all sinners. We are all broken. We are all struggling. But God has given us life, a new life. We are new creations in him. We all have a responsibility to stand in the gap. So there's never a time where God says, I looked, but could find none. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who and what you are and the things that you do, the ways that you work. And Father, we surrender our heart and our mind to you and pray that you instill in us your spirit of courage and your spirit of faith and your spirit of truth that we may be able to go out into the world and stand in the gap before the brokenness of humanity and love on it as you would call us to. We thank you for who and what you are and the things that you do and the ways that you work. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.